Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And I have a dated episode here. It's time for a classic episode of Tech Stuff because it is Friday. And this episode originally published on April 17th, 2013. This is one that I think desperately needs an update, but I thought it'd be fun to go back and visit. It's called The Richest People in Tech. Enjoy. We're taking a list from the top tech billionaires off of Forbes list, which they publish pretty much on a yearly basis. Right. So this is for the 2013 list of tech billionaires. We kind of wanted to talk about who these people are and what they've done to kind of get to where they're going and maybe some little trivia facts about you. Yeah, a little bit of a profile just to see, you know, because these these are the people that are running all of the businesses that are creating all of the cool stuff that we talk about, basically. And and there's some of them are who are working for the same company. There's three from one company, in fact, that rhymes with schmoogle. 
spoiler alert. Um, but uh, w- we're going to talk about the folks that are on this list, and uh, and keep in mind, you know, this is this is like the people who have the most money. It does not necessarily mean they're the most influential because at least a couple of them are for the most part retired. Uh, right, right, and and also it doesn't necessarily mean that they have you know like that kind of Scrooge McDuck giant swimming pool of gold of coins. coins. It's yeah. mostly wrapped up in stock options, so you know. It's, right, right. But nonetheless, yeah. right. They they may not have a lot of uh, liquid assets compared to what they have in investments. Yeah. But uh, hey, you know, I'm sure that. I'm sure they're not they're not hurting. <laughs> probably none they of them can, are. No, they could probably afford a nice ice cream cone on a warm summer's day. Aww. So let's uh, let's talk about some of them. So yeah, coming in at number fifteen is James Goodnight, who has probably the most awesome name. I know. On this yeah, list, right. He's, I think I think he's a PhD, so it's Doctor Goodnight. Yes, he is Doctor Goodnight. That is amazing. I did not think about that till you said it. Doctor Goodnight is awesome. <laughs> Well, uh, Dr. Goodnight is worth, according to Forbes, about $7.7 billion. And, and this, this is the, me- I mean, this is the bottom of our list. Yes. Yeah, so. yeah, we're going, we're going from number 15 down to number one. It's a countdown. You can actually all play along at home if you like and place bets on who you think is, uh, in the top five. We'll, we'll try not to give any spoilers. No, but uh, we already said that three of them are from the same company. So as as we get down, you're going to be thinking, huh? All right, which I ones I can think are of left? a couple of names that haven't been mentioned yet. Uh huh. All right. Well, well, what Goodnight did was he co-founded a company called SAS with John Sauls back in 1976. And this is a business analytics uh, software company. Yeah, and originally it was part of a research project. You see. Uh, James Goodnight grew up in North Carolina, so he, he's a neighbor of mine as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I'm born in Georgia, so I consider folks from uh, North Carolina my neighbors. And he began to work with computers back when he was a sophomore at North Carolina State University. So he graduated with, eventually, with a Ph.D. in statistics. Uh, right. He's, he's 70 right now, uh, if that gives you an idea of what kind of era he was working in computers. Right. When he was working in computers... It was before computers were really a thing that people thing. worked on. Yeah, yeah. There, there certainly were no personal computers at the time where he was getting into them. Yeah, uh, he didn't. Fu- you know, he he and John Sowles founded the company in 1976. That's just when personal computers were barely getting their start. So, he uh, he had helped design some equipment for ground stations to communicate with the Apollo missions, which is. Awesome. Pretty amazing. Yeah, so he then joined the faculty of North Carolina State, and while he was a faculty member there, he began to work on this project, uh, which was called a Statistical Analysis System, or SAS. Uh, it was for um, agricultural research, actually, yeah. mm-hmm. to it, crunch some of that data. Yeah, exactly. Statistically analyzing the information coming back from an agricultural project. And he realized that there was a broader application for this kind of statistical model uh, for lots of different industries. And so that's when he and Sauls got together and, uh, and founded SAS. And uh, he led the company to grow every single year. And he's been the CEO for essentially 35 years now. And every year he's been CEO, the company has grown. And perhaps the most remarkable thing, I think, according to what I read, the company has never laid off a single employee. Yeah, they're they're supposedly completely excellent to work for. I think they're number two behind all companies, uh, aside from Google, uh, in like employee satisfaction as yeah. of 2012. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. Now that doesn't mean that someone hasn't been fired from that company, but no one has been. No one's job has been eliminated due to like cutbacks or something. Sure, sure. Which you know when you're when you're talking 35 years, that's amazing. 
Oh yeah. And uh, and there have been books written about his management style. He's he's often shown as sort of a an example to folks about how to manage a company. I, I had heard that he kind of developed his philosophy while he was working on these ground systems for NASA because those projects had a lot of turnover. And as oh, a result, wow. mm-hmm. he was like, this is not the best way to get anything done. It's yeah, just, you know, because yeah. you, you have to ramp people up as they come in to replace people. You're set back when someone leaves. Sure, sure. So spend he, a lot of time just revving and, and spinning wheels. Yeah, but yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those companies that has all kinds of services on its campuses and, and lots of educational support and is yeah, very exactly. snacks in the break room, you know. And uh, from a from a personal standpoint, he met his wife Anne while he was a senior at uh, at North Carolina State, and she was attending Meredith College. And they have three kids, so you got to think, you know, kid of a billionaire. Now, a lot of these billionaires we're going to be talking about. Another interesting thing I found out about a lot of them is that many of them are philanthropists. Oh, sure. Uh, some of them are philanthropists to such an extreme as to it, it. You know, they they plan on giving away a large amount of their wealth before they pass on. And uh, and I know that there there's actually a fairly common thing I've heard among a lot of these people who have said they want to make sure that their, their kids understand the value of hard work and the responsibility and not just coast along on the accomplishments of the parents. Right, yeah. Since so many of these people, you know, worked themselves from the ground up, they kind of go, oh, that, that was a good life lesson. Yeah, yeah. A few of them had somewhat privileged uh, upbringings, but a lot of them actually came from, from pretty humble beginnings mm-hmm. and had worked their way up to... Uh, you know, not just not just the top of their their company, but the top of the, the industry. financial industry. Yeah. yeah. So let's move on to number fourteen. This is our first uh, schmoogle uh, person, as I recall. That's uh, uh, Eric Schmidt. Yes, yes. He he is worth a, a reported eight point two billion in yep. net. Yep, and he was uh, he used to be the CEO for Google. He was the CEO for Google for several years. He's currently the executive chairman. Yep, and uh, international ambassador. I think that's a, a, a yes. honorary title. He actually, uh, well, not just honorary because he went to North Korea. Yeah, he just went with uh, with his daughter and um, Bill Richardson. Yep, to they, talk to, to the leaders of North Korea about opening up uh, internet channels. And, yeah, and and uh, apparently. Uh, some of those talks actually started to uh, see some some results. Apparently, uh, North Korea began to allow foreign visitors more access to things like Wi-Fi. And uh, some folks are saying it's a direct result of Eric Schmidt's visit. Oh, wow. Uh, that being said, as we're recording this podcast, there is a kerfuffle in the North Korea area. And so I would imagine some of those issues are becoming a bit more complicated at the moment. As as they tend to do when nuclear warheads are involved. Yeah, but, but uh, he's, you know, I always heard of Eric Schmidt as the CEO of Google and being like a kind of this shrewd businessman. Uh, I did not realize because I mean I just never had looked into his background very much. I didn't realize that he he has a background not just in business but in actual programming. Yeah, he got his engineering degree and then a PhD in computer science. I think he did. He was brought on to Google back in two thousand one as the chief executive to bring a little bit more business experience into the mix. Right, he had been the CEO of Novell before that, and uh, but he he had actually co-authored the Lex Analysis software program for Unix. 
and uh, and so yeah, he's he's also he's our second PhD, um, and uh, he got that at the University of California uh, while he was actually working on another project there. So he's working on a project at the University of California like and pursues a PhD at the same time. Of course, uh, uh, he he was at one point the technology advisor to President Obama. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also at one point on the board of directors for Apple. Uh, right. He did resign from that position uh, after it was sort of. Like there were some tensions between Google and Apple, mainly stemming from iOS versus Android. In fact, sure. I don't think it was called iOS at the time. Yeah, because because he joined up at, in two thousand six, um, and and then when when everything was kind of golden and people were going like, are Google and Apple going to make beautiful babies together? And then they were like, yeah, no, they're not. No, the not problem was that they both had they both had babies, uh, and they both thought their baby was the more was beautiful the baby. Yeah, and, and then they tried to fight them yeah, like Pokemon. Right. Yeah. You just gave me a great business idea that I'm going to pursue after this podcast. Battle babies? Hey, 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 don't give it away, Vogelbaum. Uh, yeah, so he he was on the board of directors for Apple for a while. He stepped down. Uh, there were there were some mounting tensions between the two companies, and it was pretty clear that it was going to be difficult to maintain a, uh, a advisory position at one company when you are, the company you are the CEO of is seen as a, increasingly as a competitor. Right, so it was yeah. considered a conflict of interest, and he stepped down. Yeah. Um, he married a woman by the name of Wendy Boyle and had two children with her, but they separated in 2011, and now he's dating a concert pianist. Oh. I think one really interesting thing about um, a bunch of these big uh, big names is that the, technically their salaries are are practically nothing. In, in Eric Schmidt's case, as of 2008 anyway, his salary was technically one dollar per year. Yeah, and you know all of his fortune is is wrapped up in all of these stock options. Yeah, you usually end up getting uh, the the majority of your compensation ends up coming in the form of of stocks and other investments. Uh, which, which which is fair when you know it's it, you go from a stock value of eighty five dollars to over six hundred in three years. It does suggest that there that you might have made one or two good calls right in your yeah. time, as especially CEO. yeah when when you're the one who um who created the launch of those stock options. That yeah, that speaks well for you. I, so. I'm I'm almost certain that taxes have something to do with that one dollar salary, but uh, since I'm nowhere near a billionaire, I don't know for sure. Uh, let's move down to the next person, number 13. Uh, now, here's the first person whose name I'm going to butcher. It's uh, Pierre Amadiar, who is worth $8.7 billion. He's better known as the founder of eBay. Mm-hmm. And, of course, eBay is that auction site that did really, really well. I mean, it was it exploded on the internet when it uh, shortly after it uh, debuted, I think it debuted in in like ninety five. It was pretty early. Uh, yeah, eBay launched in nineteen ninety five. Yeah, and it did. It, it of course was one of those companies that gave a lot of other people the idea that the internet was a place to make your fortune. Sure. And uh, and I mean, how could you deny it? I mean, obviously this this one idea was doing incredibly well, and it made Pierre Amadiar a billionaire overnight. Yeah. When they over had the over afternoon. Over <laughs> afternoon. Afternoon, in fact. Yeah. In the middle of the day, he became a billionaire when they held the initial public offering for eBay. That was in 1998. Yeah. So three years after he launches, he becomes a billionaire because of uh, the you know the interest in this company. So again, 1998. That's before the the dot com bubble bursts. So I eBay uh, had a lot of the the right 
parts in place to survive the dot-com bubble, but it also, I think, helped create the dot-com bubble in a way because all these other people said, that was possible. Why can't my idea yeah, make yeah. me a billion dollars? There's a lot of bandwagoning that happened, yeah. and, and at a certain point, you know, yeah, it's, you can't support, hence bubble, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, he was uh, uh, born in France, uh, and he now makes his home in America. He is, uh, uh, his parents were Iranian, mm-hmm. still are, I imagine. Um, <laughs> he's, he's only 45 years old. 45 years old, and he's given away a lot of his wealth already. He is known as a philanthropist, and he's one of the people who signed something called the Giving Pledge. The Giving Pledge was uh, something proposed by the number one entry on our list, so that's something for you to listen for when we get there. He, it was co-pledged by, um, or co, co-created by Warren Buffett. Right. Warren Buffett was one of the, the creators of the Giving Pledge. The other one is the number one on our list. Warren Buffett is not the number one in tech. Yeah, no. Warren Buffett does not, does not, uh, he does not appear on this list as he is not one of the tech guys. Right. But, uh, he also created a philanthropic investment firm called the Ahmadiyar Network. And this is also not unusual. There are several people on this list who have created, uh, uh, foundations that are actually investment firms because mm-hmm. what they do is they were given a certain amount of, of grant money to start and then they invest that money and then from the returns on those investments they fund various charitable efforts. Uh, so he graduated with a degree in computer science from Tufts University and for a while before he founded eBay he worked for a subsidiary of a little company called Apple Computer. Uh, the subsidiary is called Claris. And that's when he then went on to co-found a company called Ink Development, which was originally pen-based computers. So any sort of computer that would have a pen-based operating system okay. that you would use, sure. that's what he originally went into. It eventually became eShop, which was an e-commerce site. Mm-hmm. And then from that, he got the idea for eBay. Yeah, yeah. The, I think it was AuctionWeb. The first thing that he technically sold was a broken laser pointer. Yeah. Fantastic. That just makes me think of the Weird Al song about I bought it on eBay. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, and Ahmadiyar married Pamela Kerr Ahmadiyar. Who supposedly had a huge Pez dispenser collection. And that, that is this is part of why he decided to found eBay, because of, of his wife's Pez dispenser wow. collection. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. It's always amazing to me to hear the, the what was the These genesis. Instigators, yeah. right, sure. Uh, all right, number 12. Oh, here we go with a, a, a German uh, entry, uh, Hasso Plotner, who is worth $8.9 billion, according to Forbes. And he is the co-founder of German software company SAP. Yeah, SAP AG. And uh, SAP stands for System Analysis and Program Development, or if I'm going to butcher my German, System, Anal- uh, System Analyse und Programmentwicklung. That's I. I Gothrishtish. The only thing that I can pronounce in German is my own last name, so that's that's fair. I, that's all uh, I got. My German is terrible. Uh, he he founded this company along with uh, four other former IBM colleagues. So he used to work for IBM along with these other four gentlemen, mm-hmm. and um, and they they founded this, and it was a company that made enterprise software. Now that means that they made software for other companies. Mm-hmm. It wasn't software for, you know, you to bring home and install on your personal computer. This is something that large companies would use. And in the case of, uh, uh, of SAP, it was uh, software that's designed to manage business operations and customer relations. So 
you know, this is not something that would appeal to small businesses. It was meant for big, 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 companies. big, big. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, database kind of crunching going on yeah. in the process. But that means, you know, big companies mean big customers. So it's it's one of those things that uh, a lot of other companies have looked into. You know, some of the names we're going to be talking about will be familiar to you, but maybe not as a customer like a direct customer, but rather that you know of you know the name, uh, and maybe if you work for a big company and work with those those products, you know the name of you know some of the software. Your person, right? Sure, but but you know, yes, yeah. Again, it's not on your computer stuff. at home, you're not going to have this kind of stuff installed, right? But um, yeah, yeah, he's he um co-founded this back in 1972. Yep, he's he's 69 as of right now. Yep, and uh, he uh, <laughs> he he has an interest in lots of different things, including yachting. And uh, and his interest in yachting, he has seen himself compete head to head against another person who will appear on our list further down. I'll go ahead and spoil it because it's too funny, and I will never remember by the time we get down to to this fellow, Larry Ellison. Wow, CEO of Oracle. So Larry Ellison, very well known for his yachting uh, uh, interests, and uh, and Hasso Platner have had. So they've both participated in yachting events where their individual yachts went directly head to head against each other, and apparently there have been words exchanged. Battle yachts. Some in German. Battle ba- battle yachts driven by babies. <laughs> All right, we're getting a little too far. That's sorry. That's maybe like after season four or five, and things are starting to peter off. We have to introduce some a new twist. But yeah, uh, I thought that was kind of interesting that these guys, uh, and I, I got really snarky in my notes, didn't I? I said, it shows that these CEOs still know how to have fun, just like the rest of us common folk. Uh, <laughs> he has also, uh, Platner has also supported philanthropic efforts. In his case, he has sp- uh, spent a lot of money um, to support efforts in South Africa to combat AIDS and, and the AIDS crisis there, uh, along with other charitable efforts, not just uh, not just that one. Um, and he is married and has two kids. All right, moving up to uh, number eleven now, Lauren. I'm going to let you take this one. Aw, because because she's the woman. What? What? That's, I get that. I don't I don't understand what you're getting at, Lauren. <laughs> because we share the same name. That's why. Do you, <laughs> do you know, is, is it pronounced Lauren? I'm I not, believe so. Okay, all right. Lauren Powell Jobs, uh, worth a net $10.7 billion. Um, she is she is the wealthiest woman in tech, in fact. And, and mm. this is, uh, this is um, uh, Steve Jobs' widow. Yes. Who we are talking about. So, yes. Um, yeah, she, she, most of her wealth comes from the fact that she owns 7.3% of a little entertainment company you may have heard about. Disney. Yep. 7.3% of Disney. That that translates to about $6.9 billion worth of shares. Yeah, and, and this is through the um, the trust that Steve Jobs left to her when he passed away. Yes, but she's also, I mean, you know, it's not, she has inherited quite a bit from Steve Jobs, but she herself has been very instrumental in several different companies. Oh, absolutely. She's, she's only 49 years old. She's um, She's got a few degrees in business. Mm-hmm. And yep. um, unlike Jobs, she... Stuck she, with her her studies. Well, he, uh, he he met her when she was in college, I yeah, believe. I at, think uh, so. At the uh, at Stanford University. And uh, she is the co-founder and president of the board of uh, for uh, College Track. And College Track is an after-school program that's designed to help high school students 
uh, study and and excel and also to succeed in college. And uh, and her interest in education goes well beyond that, which is, you know, this makes sense, too, because Steve Jobs was very much interested in education when Absolutely. he was the head of the uh, the next computer back back when Steve Jobs uh, initially left Apple or was fired from Apple. All depends on your point of view. When he left, he founded a new company called Next Computers, and it was really for to make an educational computer, like a computer for education systems for students. Uh, and then he was called back to save Apple when it was on the brink of bankruptcy. Right. And he uh, he never really lost his his passion for education, but he definitely had a lot more on his plate at that point. Well, she has dedicated much of her life to uh, working on ways to improve education and to give students tools that they could use to uh, improve themselves. And she also co-founded Terra Vera, which is a natural foods company. Mm-hmm. Uh, she served on the board of directors for a couple of other companies like Achieva, which is a company that makes study tools for students. Students again, and um, she was appointed in 2010 to be part of the White House Council for Community Solutions. Uh, she was appointed by President Barack Obama himself, um, and uh, yeah, she received an MBA from Stanford in 1991 and married Steve Jobs that same year, and they had three kids together. Yeah, oh, right. Lately, she's been really into um, promoting the Dream Act, which is the Development Relief and Education for Alien Minors Act. Um, it's failed to pass through Congress a couple of times now, but uh, it, it would give undocumented U.S. citizens, uh, undocumented U.S. citizens, undocumented U.S. youth, a chance to gain citizenship by. Um, either joining the armed services or going to college. Yeah, the idea being that these are people who are going to uh, to contribute positively to society, and therefore society should uh, extend to them the the, the, opportunity. Curtis, the opportunity, right? Especially if they came here before they were fifteen, and yeah. you know that's because that's not at that point that's not their fault, right? So right, and and beyond that, just the idea of. It, for the United States to succeed, we have to encourage, uh, you know, uh, excellence. And so, you know, this is one way of doing it. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Well, that's that's our first batch of five. Uh, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, 
With SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. All right, let's get back to talking about some of these uh, these really influential billionaires in technology. So at number 10, we have Azim Primji, who is worth about $11.2 billion. And he's a, an Indian businessman who's the chairman of Ypro Limited, which is one of those companies that started doing one thing and then dramatically changed its focus. I know, I know currently they do, um, they work with outsourcing. Yes, it started out making vegetable oil. Vegetable oil. That yeah. is that is a jump. Yeah, it started making vegetable oil for uh, for Indian food. And then well, um, it eventually began to diversify. It started making hydrogenated fats, toiletries, soaps, lighting products, hydraulics. <laughs> it's, it is it, it is still diversifying right now. Um, uh, it's well the um, the entire outsourcing industry is is getting pretty tough right now, and so they're um, they just spun off its con- consumer products arm into Ypro Enterprises mm-hmm. and bought a skincare firm in uh, December. Yeah. So this is. Um, this is one of those things where if you were to have the you, you've heard of the elevator speech, right? When you you are in an elevator with someone else and they ask you what you do, you have to have like a way of, of summing up what you do in just about 15 seconds uh-huh. that that explains accurately what you do. I bet this guy has a hard time doing that. Um, Especially since he's considered uh, Asia's most generous person. He has donated uh, $2.3 billion in shares of YPRO to his educational foundation mm-hmm. in February after signing that um, that Buffett giving pledge. Right. Buffett slash Buffett somebody. Slash someone. Who could it be? <laughs> and that Who was on top of $2 billion that he had already donated. Yeah. So, um, again, a very generous philanthropist. Uh uh, and he he actually holds a degree in electrical engineering from Stanford University, mm-hmm. um, and he's married to Yasmin Primji, and they have two children. All right, so let's move on to number nine. Now, this is kind of interesting. Number nine, this is a guy who has been on this list several times and has uh, seen his his ranking change pretty dramatically year over year. Uh, we expect to see that happen a lot now because the company he founded had an initial public offering last year, back in 2012, mm-hmm. and his personal value hinges directly upon the stock price of his company. We are, of course, talking about Mark Zuckerberg, 
founder of Facebook. Yes, he is worth a net $13.3 billion. He is also only 28 years old, which somehow had escaped me up until I was researching this article. Yeah. And that was that was one it of hurts, those. It hurts, doesn't it? It really, it really does. Yeah. I, uh. I am nearly a decade older than Zuckerberg, and uh, I haven't seen my first billion yet. But then I haven't founded a, a company that has over 1 billion active users either, so I can't really complain. I guess, yeah, yeah, you haven't been working quite as hard. Yeah, yeah, F- Facebook went public last May at uh, $38 per share and had fallen to under 20 by August. It, it's rebounded about 30%, according to Forbes, since then. Um, yeah, this is um, this was one of those, you may remember, Chris and I did a podcast all about Facebook going public and the issues that surrounded it, and part of that was that um, there, w- there was a scandal, something of a scandal anyway, that when the the company, you know, when the actual public offering happened, that uh, Facebook had told some of its larger shareholders who would have started off right at the very beginning that uh, the company was going to be worth less than what they had projected earlier in the year mm-hmm. and that that would in turn affect the stock price. But the actual stock price itself, the starting stock price, didn't change. Okay, so uh, so it's like saying that you know this five dollar uh, this five dollar thing you bought turns out it's really worth more like three dollars fifty cents, but they don't tell you that. And you go ahead and spend the five dollars, then you go around to you turn around, you decide you don't want it, you turn around to sell it to someone else, but you can only get three dollars and fifty cents for it. Sure. Um, it's an oversimplified way of saying what <laughs> happened, but that's that's essentially what happened. And some people, or some really, some financial institutions knew about this, and some didn't, and that caused a bit of a scandal. Uh, technically, nothing was illegal, but some people say that it may have it been. It was unethical. kind of underhanded, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, you know that that was a bit of a black eye, and also again because the stock price took a hit. Zuckerberg's personal net wealth took a hit. Yeah, but like $8.1 billion. Yeah, that's that's a lot of money. <laughs> uh, he attended Harvard College, uh, but he did not finish Harvard Matriculating, College. Matriculating, no. no. He dropped out. Um, he created, uh, uh, you may remember, we've talked about this in the past, he created a, an application called FaceMash, which allowed people to vote on the attractiveness of their fellow students at Harvard. Right, yeah. I remember that from, from the social network more than anything else, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it was just... If you could you could call it tacky, but we've seen plenty more of those sort of things pop up, mostly from people who uh, voluntarily share their image. Face Mash was kind of similar to that, but then he launched Facebook in 2004 while he was you know, a student at Harvard, and he dropped out to focus primarily upon Facebook, and it got uh, kind of a little popular. Uh, hit you know again one billion users, so that was pretty. Exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also is one of the people who has signed this giving pledge that we right. talked about. Yeah, uh, that Buffett and uh, came up with, and so he's he's that pledge. By the way, states that uh, the people who sign it are promising essentially to give away at least half of their wealth before before they, die. they pass. Right. So. Yeah, um, he's he, he's also um, Glassdoor's top employee-rated CEO. Oh, okay. Yeah. He uh, he also, I remember back when he was known as the guy who would only eat what he could kill. I don't know. Did you ever read that or hear about that? I, I heard I heard a crazy internet rumor about it, but I, I, I don't think that I saw it on a reputable source. So I, I heard about really... it. I heard about it on so many tech podcasts back when that, that kind of news story broke. But then in 2011, 
he posted on his Facebook profile that he is now a vegetarian. So maybe he's a really bad hunter and he can only catch cucumbers. I, I, think, I only, think carrots would be about my speed personally. Mr. So Zuckerberg, I'm, fair. I'm just joshing. Please don't hunt me. Um, he got married in 2012 to Priscilla Chan. And uh, so, yeah, uh, he's... Um, He's he's doing pretty well for himself. Uh, yeah, not, not too know, bad, not despite too that. Just, despite that, one point eight billion. Twenty eight years old and, uh-huh. and ranked number nine in tech billionaire. Well, last year bad. he was six, so really yeah, he should yeah. he should feel bad. Slipping a little. He's bad, and he should feel bad. Right, exactly. Just like I do every day. Oh. Number eight, Paul Allen. Paul Allen, worth a net fifteen billion. Yep, he's uh, one of the co-founders of Microsoft. The other one being. Well, you know. Anyway, so he he co-founded Microsoft. Uh, He made a lot of his current wealth in real estate. Yeah, uh, Vulcan Real Estate is the name of his company. Vulcan Incorporated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, which also manages his philanthropic efforts because like several of the other billionaires on this list, he is a philanthropist. Right. Uh, He is also another dropout. He went to Washington State University but dropped out after two years to start working in Honeywell in Boston. Um, and uh, he owns a couple of uh, sports uh, teams. Uh, right, yeah, the Seattle Seahawks and the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, it's a, it's a football game and a or football game, football team <laughs> and a basketball team. I'm not big on the sports, as it turns out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we I, neither of us, I think, are really. There, there are really only two two sports I follow, and neither of them are football or basketball. Yeah. It's just baseball and hockey, and I don't follow hockey anymore. I was, was going to say pro wrestling. I, does that that's not a sport. That's sports that's entertainment. Okay. All right. Um, but, but anyway, uh, uh, Paul Allen lately has been selling off a lot of his shares of Microsoft and starting to um, invest and diversify in a bunch of other stuff. Right. Um, that's true. And he's he's also he he lost his mother recently to Alzheimer's and uh, related complications and has been um, really active in brain research. Mm-hmm. Um, donated uh, five hundred million to the Allen Institute for Brain Science. Yeah, he's he's made some substantial contributions, financial contributions to lots of different nonprofit organizations. Um, he also uh, just another here's a little trivia for you. When he took the SATs. He got a perfect score. Perfect score in 1600. math. 1600. That was back to... Oh, 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 in both sides. I, I'd heard about the math, but I, mean, I hadn't heard about the... 1600 the SATs. Yeah, back when the SATs went up to 16. Yeah, that was... Yeah, by the way, back, back in the... That's how it was when I took <laughs> Me SATs. too, okay. me too. So back in the day, kids, 1600 was the top score you could make, and you could not... You couldn't fudge that. Like, that was a perfect score. Mm-hmm. You know, because there are versions of the SAT since then where you could quote-unquote, hit a perfect score, even if you didn't answer all the questions. Um, also, huh. there, was, there was no essay back then. It's just math and... Uh, math and... Uh, math and, math and uh, the words things. English, that's it. <laughs> Those word things that we do. Yeah. We do thing. them words things. Anyway, he, he made a perfect score on that. So, uh, yes, yeah, smart guy. Um, he never never married. He is, he is a bachelor. He's mm. had... Um, uh, I had uh, just uh, the only bachelor I think that we have on this list, as I recall. I might be wrong about that. We'll find out when we get toward the very bottom. But, um, yeah, never married. Number seven, interesting guy. Uh, this is a guy that I've seen in action on stage in person, and he is a force to be reckoned with. We're talking about Steve Ballmer, CEO of Microsoft, so we and just chairman. Went, mm-hmm. and chairman. Yes, we just went from the one of the co-founders of Microsoft to the current CEO. He's um, worth a net fifteen point two billion. Yep, he was born in Detroit, and uh, he also went to Harvard University, but he finished. 
Uh, he I'm did. Like Zuckerberg. Uh, he earned a degree in mathematics and one in economics. Um, and he met he met one of the uh, the other co-founder of Microsoft, Bill Gates. He met him back uh, in college. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. He he had uh, he had started going to Stanford for a graduate degree, um, and that was about when Bill Gates was like, "Hey, do you want to come work on this crazy project?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure." Yeah. So Bill Gates and Paul Allen had founded uh, uh, Microsoft in the seventies. They invite Steve Ballmer to come and work for Microsoft. He drops out of grad school at Stanford. And he becomes the 30th employee of Microsoft and was a business manager. Uh, his salary was about $50,000 a year when he first started. And he had also received a percentage of ownership in Microsoft. Uh, and so when it went public, he held about 8% of the company. And since since that time, he sold some of that stock off, about a little bit about around half of it, a little less than half. Um, and in 1992, he became the executive vice president of sales and support. Then shortly thereafter, he became the president of Microsoft. And then when Bill Gates decided to resign to step down as CEO, he Steve Ballmer up. became CEO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, um, so he's, he's been he's been working there for a total of 33 years and has been CEO for 13. Um, he's he's actually a little bit of a, of a contentious CEO right now. He only has a 47% approval rating by the employees over at Microsoft, according to Glassdoor. And um, yeah, the, the, the Microsoft stock has been down. Uh, it, it's down like like 1.32% over last year. Um over the past five years, yeah. with a seven percent drop since last year. Yeah, there, there's been there have been several uh, critical reports about Steve Ballmer's performance as CEO and and whether or not the company's on the right track. Uh, and you know, there are people who point out products like Windows Vista or Windows 8 and saying, you know, th- this is an indication that perhaps there needs to be someone else leading the way. Um, and, and also the, the the mobile performance of Windows versus right. Windows versus phone, Apple and exactly. Google. They, they said that, that Microsoft didn't move on that fast enough, and they weren't innovators; they were followers. Right. Uh, there are some areas of Microsoft that I think you can say pretty strongly are 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 doing really well. One of them is something that Lauren and I both enjoy, which is the the Xbox, oh, the game console. Um, but you know, there's definitely been a lot of criticism. Uh, also, there's uh, the famous. If if Chris were here, he would demand that I do this. Uh, there was the famous presentation where Steve Ballmer got up on stage and started chanting "developers, developers, 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 developers," and clapping his hands and and moving around like uh, like well like a crazy person. There's no easy way of saying this. If you've not seen the video, the famous Steve Ballmer "developers, developers, developers" video. Uh, go to YouTube and do a search. You really just have to search for the word developers, and it's going to pop up. Trust me. So uh, he he's an interesting guy. He married Connie Snyder in 1990, and they have three kids. Uh, and he's only the second person ever in, in the United States, anyway, to become a billionaire due to stock options he received as an employee of a corporation where he was neither the founder nor the relative of a founder. Oh, wow. Huh. So uh, the very first person was Roberto Goizeta of Coca-Cola. <laughs> he's, he's also, and this is going to come back in a minute, leading a group of investors that's um, trying to buy the Sacramento Kings, which is a, which is a basketball team, um, and move them to Seattle. Right. So I've heard of basketball. That's interesting. So, yeah, uh, interesting guy. And, you know, again, there's a lot of uh, debate about his performance, about his management style. Um, and it, I'll be curious to see, like, the next over the next five years what happens over at Microsoft. It's, it's one of those things where even I have some years said, I'm surprised that, that the shareholders haven't made haven't. a move. Mm-hmm. Sure. But, you know, at the same time, uh, 
you know, Balmer's had decades of experience at that company. So, and you know, I, I, I'm not a business person. So for me, for me, it's all like, you know, oh well, I could easily see that someone else needs to be right, yeah, right. It's easy for us to sit back here and go like, wow, what yeah. are they doing? And then, but if you were to put me in charge of that company, we'd be bankrupt in two days. Yeah, you know. Uh, all right, moving on to number six. <laughs> Jonathan liquefied all of our shares to Kit Kats and just yeah. pulled himself up in a back Probably office. Probably Butterfinger, actually. But yes, <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a bad guess. I'm sure there'd be at least a few Kit Kats. Oh, good times. All right, so number six is uh, is the co-founder of another company, or a founder of another company, uh, Michael Dell. Worth a net of $15.3 billion. Yeah, dude, he... Needed lots of Dells there. He's the the founder and CEO of Dell Incorporated, Dell Computers. So that's one of those companies that made personal computers a viable business. Oh, right, um, right. This was back in 1984 that he founded it. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, <laughs> so while he was attending the University of Texas at Austin. Mm-hmm, which uh, he dropped out of. He's, yep. an, he's another dropout on another our list. Dropout, yep. And uh, became the youngest CEO to have his company ranked in Fortune's top 500 oh, corporations. Wow. He was only 27 at the time that that happened. Oh. Uh, so, you know, again, pretty amazing and, and, and uh, uh, very determined. He became interested in investments when he was still a teenager. Like, he would take part-time jobs, and instead of just, you know, putting the money away or, or spending it on something frivolous, he was actually investing in things like precious metals and stocks as a teen. That's That would probably be why he's worth $15.3 and I'm worth uh, negative and some... No, I also, I also read an interesting story. I don't know if this is true or not, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I didn't write this down in my notes, but I read a story that he had discovered... Um, like he had a essentially was what amounted to a paper route where it was mm-hmm. really him selling newspapers, selling newspaper okay. subscriptions. Okay, so he's selling newspaper subscriptions. He's really more of a salesperson for a newspaper, and he noticed a trend. And this is something that he got really good at: is is uh, analyzing systems and seeing how best to work within a system or to manipulate that system, not in a bad way, but oh, just sure, sure, but just the mm-hmm. most advantageous way. He started to notice that people who were moving into the city were more likely to subscribe to a newspaper as part of establishing their new home. Uh-huh. And so he began to target people. He had like he would get records showing where uh, houses had just been bought, and he would target those as wow. his as his uh, places to sell. Uh, papers. So he was, I think, in college at this time, or maybe it was actually, I think it was high school at this time. And if I'm not mistaken, he made something like eighteen thousand dollars doing this, which was more than what his teacher was making. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so he he was putting that kind of uh, brain power to use when he was in the university, and he began to realize that uh, he, he started to to offer to build and sell PCs to other students, and noticed that this was a viable way of making money. And so he became uh, he started a company called PCs Limited that would eventually become Dell Incorporated. Uh, he married Susan Lynn Lieberman in 1989, and they have four children together. And they also established the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation, which is a philanthropic organization that focuses primarily on child health and family economic stability. Mm-hmm. They are committed to donating a hundred million 
million a year to that. Um, Dell, meanwhile, is not doing extraordinarily well these days. Their um, uh, their stock is down, I think, twenty four percent from as of February from last year. And um, Michael Dell has announced that he wants to take Dell private and is trying to strike an agreement with the shareholders right now who are not really excited about the deal. Yeah, he, his plan was to buy back all those shares, make it a private company again, so essentially reversing the IPO. Yeah, and for for twenty four point four billion. Yeah, which the shareholders are going like, that's, no, that's what? Yeah, they're saying that's way too that's 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 undervaluing the company is their argument. Whereas his argument is, if we keep going the way we're going, this company's going to be worthless. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that works out because, you know, it's one of those, there are times when a company goes public where you realize further down the road that that was a That mistake. was not a good deal, yeah. Because, again, you have to answer to shareholders. Sometimes that's a great thing. Sometimes it's exactly what a company needs to succeed. Other times, like in this case, you can tell that maybe that was the, you know, maybe it was the right decision at the time, but it's no longer Yeah, the right yeah, it's, it's a, at this point, you know, it's, it's computer industry needs to be nimble and dealing with shareholders is yeah. never really a nimble. It's pretty hard to reverse that decision once it happens, too. But we'll see if that that pans out. Well, uh, we're about to go into our top five. Before we do, I'd like to take a quick moment to thank our other sponsor. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. 
I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. So we're getting into the top five here. Uh, number five is uh, another person from Schmoogle. Google, we obviously. Can, yeah, we, I we, guess can, I can, we can say the name now. I, I guess. It's I, not. I, I kind of I can't, can't help myself at this point. We're talking about Sergey Brin, who is one of the co-founders of Google. Yes, he is worth a net $22.8 billion. And he's the director of special projects at Google, which means that he gets to oversee the super awesome, cool All stuff. All the ridiculous stuff like the autonomous cars, Google Glass. Yeah, things things like uh, that kind of stuff where, you know, we've heard rumor that Google might have a, a smartwatch in the works that could have an augmented reality uh, application included in this. Um, I, I would imagine that falls under his jurisdiction mm-hmm. as a special project. So uh, it's pretty clear that Sergey Brin wants to become a cyborg and rule us all. Uh, he, uh, he's a smart, smart guy. His, his parents were both from uh, Moscow. And his, oh, right. They, they moved the family to America when he was six. Yes, six years old. His father was a mathematics professor at the University of Moscow. And his mother uh, ended up being a researcher for a for little, NASA, yeah, right? NASA. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, I, cu- I cut off your. No, no, it's going to be it's going to be snarky, but you <laughs> you desnarkified me. That's fine. Uh, the listeners wish they could do it all the time. Yeah. What the, so the point being that his parents, wicked smart, like uh-huh. you know, already mathematicians, researchers, uh, really smart people. Um, some of the people on this list we've talked about are folks who you know they came from. Maybe not, you know, humble beginnings, but not their, their parents were not necessarily more like normal people, more yeah. or less. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm not going. I'm not going to. I mean, you know, I personally don't have any parents who have worked for NASA, so I'm a little yeah. bit impressed when I hear about that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, neither of my parents have worked for NASA either. Um, but yeah, when he was six, the family immigrated to the United States. Uh, he received degrees in mathematics and computer science at the University of Maryland, and then he went to go do some graduate study uh, research over at the at Stanford University. Uh, he wanted to eventually get a PhD. Uh, he's still working toward that. His his studies are on indefinite hold right now. So. Technically, he hasn't dropped out of grad school. Oh, right, and, and Stanford doesn't really want to go, give him the boot, I don't think. Yeah, but I mean, it all depends. Like, Stanford's already got that, that record of other people who said, can I get a deferment? And they said no, and it's fine, I'm going to become a billionaire. <laughs> That's happened a few times. But uh, but so he went ahead and became a billionaire, but may, maybe one day he'll end up finishing that work and, and earning his PhD. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he is only 39, so he's got a minute. Yeah, he's got a little while. He also, while at Stanford, met the other co-founder of Google, Larry Page. And at that first meeting, supposedly Paige and Bren were both, um, let's call them smart Alex. Okay, so they're both smart Alex. They're both a little snarky. Uh, and apparently that snarky and snarky when they first met kind of sparks flew. Like things were not buddy-buddy. It, it wasn't necessarily a friendly kind of snark. Yeah, supposedly mm-hmm. they did not totally get along upon first meeting. But uh, they, they ended up spending a lot of time together because they were working on the same research project called Backrub which was this project to help index the web. They were talking about how a link 
on a web page is kind of like a site, mm-hmm. like a C-I-T-E site, not S-I-T-E. A citation. Like yes. citation, exactly. And that if you were to index all of these, you could easily navigate around the web. So that was the basis of Backrub, which eventually became Google. Mm-hmm. And, and this had been Page's idea at first, I believe. And he kind of needed somebody with, um, with a stronger computer background and, yes. and mathematical skill. Yes. So Bren came on. Bren, Bren had already been at Stanford for a while. And in fact, originally, Bren had shown Page around for the graduate program. That's when they first really? met. Yeah. And then he ended up working on Page's project. And as they worked together, they became they became buddy-buddy. They got past that initial, like, he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> that guy's kind of a jerk. Uh, and in 2007, Sergey Bren married Anne Wojcicki. Together they have two kids. And um, and he's also done a lot of philanthropic work himself uh, directly, actually, for Google.org, which is the philanthropic arm of Google. Right. Uh, and it, it it's a, a a division that looks at lots of different problems, including ways of creating clean energy, uh, reducing environmental impact in general, battling climate change. So uh, he's dedicated a lot of his his time and efforts toward these sort of projects too. It's pretty. Heavy stuff, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which then leads us nicely into number four, which is Larry Page. Larry Page. So the other half of the Google co-founder duo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's worth a net twenty-three billion. Yeah, so point two billion more than uh, than Sergey. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure they lord it over each other whenever their fortunes whenever change. Whenever one of them flip flops, yeah, they yeah. go to when they go to the billionaire club and they play. Ha Monop- ha! You owe me a coke. They play Monopoly yeah. with real cities. Uh, oh, I was going to make a joke, but I'm going to stop on that one. So anyway, yeah, <laughs> uh, he's actually been the acting. Uh, he's been the CEO for Google since April 2011. So uh, Eric Schmidt, of course, was the former CEO when Schmidt stepped down. Uh, they were talking about who was going to be the next CEO. Was there going to be an interim CEO? Uh, would they pick someone from outside the company? But uh, Larry Page ended up taking that role. And uh, he's originally from Michigan. His parents were both computer science professors at Michigan State University. So again, Larry Page grew up in a household that was already familiar with and interested in the computers. Sure. So he, he picked right up on that. Uh, he attended the University of Michigan and earned a degree in computer engineering, and then he went to Stanford and earned a master's degree in computer science. That's, of course, we just mentioned where he met Sergey Brin, and they started working on the Backrub project. Um, he's also an investor in a company that we talked about in a recent uh, episode of Tech Stuff. Uh, Tesla, Tesla Motors. Yep, Tesla Motors. Um, I think both him and, uh, and Sergey are, I think. Are they? Yeah, okay, I, knew I believe. That, I knew that Paige was. Um, and he married Lucinda Southworth uh, uh, in 2007, and they have one child together. And um, Google is doing incredibly well. Their stock rose uh, 30% in 2012, which earned Page $4 billion personally. So not- yeah, that'll, that'll knock you right up the list pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's also in the, um, in the top 20 of Forbes businesses overall um, uh, billionaire list. Right, because so, so. this, is, this is specifically, the list we're doing is just the tech folks, but mm-hmm. obviously there are people who work in, there are businesses other than technology, I've found. One or two, I, I guess. Was, I was unaware of this until I just happened to read the wrong link on a, uh, while I was researching, and, uh, and I, my heart shrunk three sizes that day. Sad story. Number three. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Jeff Bezos. Worth a net 
$25.2 billion, and he, of course, is the founder of Amazon. Yeah, and we've talked about Bezos quite a bit when we did our, our Amazon two-parter. Epic uh, two-parter. We keep talking about doing the third part, but we keep putting it off because we're, we think after covering Amazon so thoroughly that we didn't want to, to, uh, to yeah. we didn't want to turn tech stuff into the Amazon podcast. Right, right, yeah. But we have to do it for a little while because he's number three on the list. Um, so, he, you know, he, his mom ended up, uh, uh, you know, he divorcing his father and then remarrying. Uh, and uh, she married Mike Bezos and... Uh, Jeff decided he essentially took his last name from his uh, adoptive father. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's so, very, very close with him. And he considers him his real dad. Mm-hmm. That's his real dad uh, because he was there to raise him. And um, so he, uh, his maternal grandfather worked for DARPA on space technology and missile defense technology. And he uh, was a very instrumental figure in Jeff's early life. I'm, I call him Jeff. Jeff. Well, you, know, you guys are so, I we're mean, so tight. Yeah. He, I've ordered every so many, day. It's I, Jeff this and Jeff that. I've ordered so many things from his site. You would think he would know me by name at this point. He at least knows my address. Uh, so he graduated with a degree in electrical engineering and computer science from Princeton. Uh, he met his wife, Mackenzie Bezos, while they were both uh, working at a hedge fund company called D.E. Shaw. And while he was working there, uh, he was working on some database projects. And that's when he got the idea of you could create a website that could become an online retail space for books, mm-hmm. which is exactly what Amazon.com was originally. When it first started, it was just about the books. Books only, yeah. They, and, they, they shipped their first one in 1995. Um, but had expanded so much that they went public in 97. Yeah, it didn't take long at all. So, again, this was a, one of those companies that existed before the dot-com bubble burst. and, uh, and they Survived were doing, really quite well through it. They, they didn't make a profit for a long time. No, they weren't. their revenues were not profitable, but they were growing quite a bit. And, and, uh, and The reason that they weren't profitable was, was not because they were not doing well, but because they kept, yeah, they, they were growing so quickly and expanding so quickly into so many new distribution centers and right. so many new areas. The that, costs were higher than what they were bringing in, but they were, their revenues were increasing year over year. So there was lots of growth. There just wasn't a lot of, uh, of actual profit right. for the first few years, but it did start to turn a profit and then didn't stop. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's not a problem anymore. They uh, Their stock rose 40% last year, earning Bezos personally $6.8 billion. Yeah, and he was, uh, in 1999, he was named Time Magazine's Person of the Year because uh, that Amazon had become so influential, even back then in 99, before, again, the dot-com bubble. Uh, went kerplooey. So, yeah, he, he's done quite well for himself. He's number three on the list, which leads us to number two. Mr. Larry Ellison. One of the more controversial figures <laughs> from technology on we're, this list. Worth, worth a net uh, $43 billion. That's, um, that's a lot of... Controversy lot of or no. He is, he is America's third richest man, in fact. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. We went from $25.2 billion with Bezos to $43 billion with Larry Ellison. He, of course is a co-founder of the Oracle Corporation, um, and uh, he's, he's made quite a name for himself for multiple reasons. One is that, again, he's the guy who sets his yacht against the, 
the the fellow we mentioned earlier in the podcast. Right, right. He's he's also rumored to be exploring a deal to purchase the Sacramento Kings to prevent them from being moved to Seattle. So he's in direct conflict with two other people on our list. Uh, he also uh, yeah, he's he's bought some pretty famous uh, places like an island of Hawaii. <laughs> Uh, 98% of Lanai, uh, one of the Hawaiian islands, it's a 141-square-mile island. He owns pretty much all of it, uh, including two resorts that are on the island. Um, you know, well, was, was, you want to get away. He just dropped $500 million on it. It's yeah. not, not a big deal. Half a billion dollars buying a Hawaiian island. He also owns a $110 million home in Woodside, California. He owns several properties in Malibu. Uh, apparently, one of those properties in Malibu has a $1 million entertainment system that uses an empty swimming pool as a subwoofer. That is the best thing I've ever heard. So that's if you're that's in, amazing. If you're in Malibu... And you think there's an earthquake? Make sure that Ellison's not having a house party. A house party, first. yeah. Yeah, if he's dropping some mad beats, that might be what you're feeling it instead. Uh, he's another college dropout. Uh, he dropped out of both the University of Chicago and University uh, of Illinois at Urbana Champaign. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He um, he he believes in doing it wholeheartedly uh, in multiple universities. Um, uh, his adoptive father actually assumed the name Ellison to commemorate the fact that he came to America and passed through Ellis Island. Oh, so Ellison, that's nice. Ellison is uh, from that. Um, he worked at a few companies in California when he was in his 20s, and he designed a database for a little organization called the CIA, uh, and that database was called Oracle. And that's when um, he got the idea to found a software company. It was originally called Software Development Laboratories, not laboratories, um, which is how I usually say it. And that's what eventually became Oracle. Uh, this is, again, enterprise software. So Oracle is one of those names that I think, like Oracle, Sun, Microsystems, like these are these are big names that people are familiar with, even mm-hmm. IBM to some extent. They're familiar with, but they haven't necessarily used it in a personal Personally. level. Personally. Mm-hmm. Unless they work for a company that has these systems and they're in charge of them. But anyway... Um, I believe he's been married and divorced four times, uh, so he's had some issues in his personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's also known as being a very outspoken and blunt person. Yes. Yeah. I've I've heard that once or twice. He he has signed on to the uh, to to that Warren Buffett and right uh, our number one. <laughs> G- giving, if you can't guess pledge. who the number one is yet. That's. <laughs> It's, That's amazing. Yes, uh, and he, he's he's thus far donated um, four hundred and forty-five million, mostly via Oracle stock. Right. So uh, yeah, so he's another one of the members of this this elite club of billionaires who have signed the giving pledge to to really try and make the world a better place. I can't criticize that at all. That's a phenomenal thing. I mean, no, I would, no, that's wonderful. I would like to think that if I were a billionaire, I would do the same thing. But of course, I'm not in that position, so it's really easy for me to say it right now. I'm pretty sure that you would be a mad scientist and would be really busy I, I, doing mad I science. I think I'd at least but... be a frustrated scientist. If not outright mad, but you can still you can you can still participate in have you charity. Seen, if as you mad watch scientist. if you watch the forward thinking episode 
about uh, our, our cities growing, you'll see me deliver one of my megalomaniacal monologues. And I guess Mad Scientist is pretty accurate, you know, based on that. So that's fair. Uh, all right. So that, that takes us up to number one. And uh, number one, of course, is the, the other person along with Warren Buffett who said, let's do this pledge. And that is, of course... Bill Gates. Yes. Um, Worth a net $67 billion. Yeah, $67 billion. That's a huge amount of money. Um, and he, he only retains about 5% ownership of Microsoft. Mm-hmm. So most, most of that wealth comes from investments that are in other uh, industries and things in bonds and stocks. Uh, he's invested in other companies. He, he's founded other companies. Uh, he was the CEO of Microsoft for many years. He stepped down in 2000. Of course, Balmer became the CEO at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, he stayed on as the chairman and chief software architect for a few more years. Uh, he transitioned from full-time to part-time at Microsoft in 2006 and retired in 2008. And I actually remember when he retired because I went to CES when they were talking about the fact that Gates was going to retire. It was his final keynote at CES. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they presented this very cute video package that showed a typical day of Gates at Day work. in the life. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it was absolutely ridiculous. It was very clear that Bill Gates has a very healthy sense of humor about himself. He, he seems to enjoy poking fun at his own reputation. Uh, and, um, and that's also clear. If you guys know where the phrase conquistadors, they run tight, then you know... He's a goofy guy. If you don't know about that, uh, go to YouTube again. Uh, after you've watched Steve Ballmer scream about developers for a good 30 seconds, uh, go and type in Jerry Seinfeld, Bill Gates. Uh, there was a commercial that ran several years ago that was really just to promote Microsoft. It wasn't any particular Microsoft uh-huh. product. Just EA Microsoft? It was a minute and a half long, and it was mostly about Jerry Seinfeld walking through the mall and seeing Bill Gates getting fitted for new shoes and then having a bizarre, absurd conversation with him. I've somehow completely missed this. It was it only aired a few times, but one of the things they talked about, the, the type of shoes they talk about are conquistadors. Conquistadors. And they run tight, <laughs> uh, as you find out in the, in the commercial. Chris and I would quote that all the time because we both really appreciated how goofy that commercial was. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also once arrested. In 1977, for a traffic violation. Oh. So his 1977 mugshot is on the internet, and it is the goofiest looking thing you've ever seen. By the way, that mugshot also appears in that Conquistador in commercial. commercial? That's, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, and li- like Jonathan said, he's only retained 5% of ownership in Microsoft, so most of the money that he is making right now, and, and which is, yeah, he's he made $6 billion in 2012, um, has been from investment in, uh, you know, other stocks and yeah. bonds and et cetera. Yep. He, uh, when he, he went to college at Harvard, and he, of course, dropped out. Uh and went to work with Paul Allen at Honeywell first, and then the two of them. Actually, he was still going to Harvard when he went to work for Honeywell. He dropped out of Harvard when Paul Allen said, hey, we should get together and make a company. And so Allen essentially, according to what I read, convinced Bill Gates to drop out and to co-found Microsoft. So if he had not dropped out, we might not have ever had a Microsoft, and the world would be a very different very place. Very different place, yeah. Uh, so he and Alan co-founded this company. Of course, it went on to amazing success, and he went on to uh, great success both at the company and apart from it. So he and his wife, Melinda Gates, uh, founded the, the Bill and Melinda Gates, Gates Foundation, Foundation, which has done 
an incredible amount of philanthropic work, a lot in developing nations, really all concentrating on things like uh, access to clean water, health care, education. Forbes, Forbes lists him as the world's most generous person. It's it's pretty phenomenal. And of course, he's still making boatloads of money. Uh, I know this foundation has received criticism because the way that the foundation ends up funding the various projects it works on is through investments, just like we've spoken about sure. earlier. And sometimes some people have said that there are times where the foundation has invested in companies that are causing some of the very problems that the uh, foundation is trying to To solve. eradicate, yeah. So things like companies that through their operation, uh, contribute to pollution and, and you know, right. uh, air quality, things like that. And if that's, in fact, how they are funding the projects, then that might be counterproductive. And uh, the, the Gates Foundation said at one point that they were going to uh, instill a new policy where everything would be reviewed before it would be funded. But then eventually, apparently, went back to, look, the... Uh, more or this less is the, really cumbersome. Yeah. This is leading us to not actually get money out to people. Not quite Not quite so far as to say the ends justify the means, but that's what the critics have said, hmm. right? That that was their position. But ultimately, they have funded a lot of charitable efforts like to a, make the world a better place. Yeah. Uh, they, Bill and Melinda have personally given over $28 billion. That's incredible. And like we said, you know, Bill Gates was one of the ones who, who founded this giving pledge idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a lot of people who have signed on to it, not just the, the tech billionaires we've mentioned. Um, he also owns a $125 million home on Lake Washington. Not actually on the lake. It's actually just on the shore of the lake. It should, be, should be on the lake. That would be, come on, floating home. Technically, it's underground, or most of it is. Uh, we did a Chris and I did a great podcast about Bill Gates's house a, a like couple of years ago, and the place from what we could what we were able to read because you know there's not and not all the details are available. But uh, he, he didn't invite you over when he found out that you were doing the episode. <laughs> yeah, sadly uh, that invitation has been lost in the never been written mail. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, but it's an incredible house. It's one of those places where. Uh, they incorporate a lot of environmental design in the house itself to make it kind of a complement to the area, not just you know, not just a big house that's sitting on a pretty that's hill. Out, right. It's part of a pretty hill. Huh. Uh, they also incorporate a lot of technology, including, and I'm, I'm assuming that he's upgraded this since then. But I remember one of the first systems I read about was uh, an RFID system where you would get something that would have an RFID chip in it, and you could program the chip to whatever specifications you like. So you could say, you know, I like it when a room is 70 degrees, and I like this kind of music, and I like this kind of art. And as you move through the house, the house The house would change responds. around you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's that idea of the smart home. Now, with, you know, we're getting to the point now where the RFID is becoming less and less necessary to achieve that. But back when the yeah, house right. was first being built, that's, yeah. that was state yeah. of the art. So, yeah, I mean, pretty interesting guy. Um, he's the father of three kids. Uh, thought I'd go ahead and drop that on there. So, yeah, it's he's oh, he's definitely done a lot uh, in technology, and and again, the world would be a very different place without his contributions. Without so, the contributions of all of these people. Yep. And so, I just thought one other little interesting tidbit since we talked about fifteen people, one third 
of the billionaires we talked about dropped out of college. Yeah, we found this fascinating. Yeah, five five out of the top 15 billionaires in technology, billionaires dropped out of college. And and we're we're not saying that you should necessarily drop out of school no, if you are in first school. Start. It's it's a great. No, the first start is listening to tech stuff. Clearly, you're already well on. Obviously, the road you are. To billionaire. Congratulations. Yeah. We, we don't. We don't know. We only teach. No, don't. We're not saying drop out of school. But what? What I was talking. I, I was talking to Lauren before we came into the the studio, and I said, you know, I I think part of it is that when you are really smart, like like these people are smart. Like the, yes, this level of smart. Yeah, that this yeah, which is way over my head. And when you're this smart and you're this ambitious and you have this kind of vision, so it's not just that you're smart, but that you can you can apply that intelligence in a way that's going to resonate with people mm-hmm. and be valuable to people. And when you are of this age, so we're talking, you know, of, of the college age, you know, eighteen 20s, to twenty-five, yeah, somewhere around there, uh-huh. uh, then you you also are at an age where you can afford to take some pretty big risks because you haven't necessarily got these other things that you have to worry about, like a right, family or right. a home or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you don't already have large investments that you're going to, you know, yeah, that you're going to throw away if you if you risk everything and lose. So you have you have a. Lots of benefits. You've got a lot of energy. You've got this great idea. You've got the intelligence. You've got the opportunity. And you don't have a lot of stuff that would prevent you from taking a big risk. Aside from this pesky degree that you're pursuing. Right. Yeah. That might be a problem. But uh, and, and so we've talked about other people who realized that, you know, this is going to be a risk, like Elon Musk, where mm-hmm. he's like, you know, this is this is something that might not work. So I want to be able to go back to my studies if I need to. Um, but when you get older, that that window becomes harder and harder to justify jumping through. Right. Sure. Like at, at my age, I'm a married man. I own a home. Uh, I've got a lot of ties here in Atlanta. It would be it would take a lot for me to have to make a, a, a huge like change. That. Yeah. yeah. So um, so there's some benefit to uh, to doing it the way these guys have done it because they were in the right time, the right position with the right idea. But most of us probably could benefit from finishing out the rest of that college education. Stay in school, kids. I hope you enjoyed that classic episode of Tech Stuff. If you have suggestions for future topics, you know, brand new ones, not future classics, let me know. Send me a message on Twitter or on Facebook. The handle we use at both is TechStuffHSW, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.